Welcome to the Intellectual Agrarian Podcast, where we talk philosophy from the farm. I'm your host, Terrence Leahy. Today's guest is Aaron Blick, a farmer, friend, and family man. Hello, Aaron. Yes. Well, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on. Now, Aaron, I've already given the audience a little brief bio on you, but why don't you share with the audience a little bit about yourself? I'd love to. Thank you. Yeah, my name is Aaron Blick. Um, I have uh, been a farming farming enthusiast for about 10 years now. I uh, got started on a few acres that my dad had on his property, uh, like I said, about 10 years ago, and started with uh, three steers. Moved up from three steers to about uh, 20 cows and steers altogether um, over a span of about four to five years. So got my hands, uh, you could say, uh, dirty with farming and uh, uh, grew to love it and still doing it today um, at a different uh, farm as a farm manager. So um a little about myself and I uh, grew up in a small farming community with the quite a different wide range of farmers from crops and cattle and hay and everything. So it was a good experience growing up for sure. Yeah. It's a good thing we have those early days and early foundations. So you obviously came from a family that had an association with farming, a small town where you got sea farming. Now that leads to a very important question that, Everyone that asks that I talk to tends to ask me, "Why would you want to become a farmer?" <laughs> I mean, was there a certain point where you said, "You know what? This is what I want to do?" Yeah, no, I had a few family members ask me the same question, and um, I guess it's really hard to like give one answer, like why I wanted to do it. Um, I guess growing up, it was a thing of one loving the outdoors and loving animals. Um, and also I had a good experience growing up where, uh, I was able to at age 14, uh, actually get, do my first kind of farm job, which was helping a guy harvest grain. And that was my first experience driving a big tractor. Um, got to drive, uh, truck hauling stuff at 14. So it was a good experience getting started there. And I guess from that, it kind of, um, gave me the, uh, interest into farming, but then really what, uh, pushed me towards, uh, more of the cattle side, not really the crop side was, um, just raise, starting, uh, calves or steers, uh, from bottle bottles and then raising them all the way to finish. It was from that when I first started that it was like, you know, I, I like doing this, And as I got older, I kind of realized uh, not only do I want to do farming because I love it, uh, but also because I know that not only will it benefit my family in the future, but also will benefit other people's families by raising good quality and healthy meats for people and their families as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I have to say I understand completely. They... I am not very good with animals personally, yet somehow I found myself drawn into this world and I don't regret it. I mean, there's just something 
there's such satisfaction you get from seeing an animal start out uh, this little calf to eventually either seeing it go off to the butcher to go on someone else's plate or see it on your own. That may sound slightly horrid to a lot of people that are animal lovers. Right. But really, you get such immense satisfaction from you actually get to see the result of your work. Most people yeah. never get to see that, the whole span of it. Right, right. And I think that was one thing that I enjoyed about it, too, was like you're saying, you know, you you uh, start out with the animal as a young animal, and then you raise it, may you know, take care of it, provide feed or um, pasture for it and then when it's time you harvest it Mm -hmm. and um, that satisfaction of like you know seeing the finished product uh, one it you know feeds your own family but then hearing uh, other people you know say you know wow that was such a good steak I had last night thank you so much or you know um, we really appreciate the hard work you put into raising you know good quality meats because we love uh, buying it from you. Um, so it's that kind of thing. It's like the pleasure of knowing that you're not only helping your own family, but helping other families as well. And seeing lives change because of that. Very true. And is it having that one person that comes up and thanks you for something that, that makes up for all of the dirty clothes, the cow patties in the face, uh, running around in the rain, really that makes up for all of that crud that you had to wade through. Am I right? Yes. Yes, exactly. Knowing, knowing that at least, uh, there's other people that are grateful for the hard work that I put in, um, is really satisfying. And it's one way I see is, uh, as, uh, you know, us being able to impact, um, this world in a small way is by providing people with a healthy, alternative Mm -hmm. um what you see in the grocery store or what you could get at walmart uh, is not a healthy product Uh, the mainstream meats that they have are not a healthy product for your family and knowing that you know i can uh, raise an animal uh for my my own family but other people's family and it's a healthy product for them uh that gives people a longer healthier life Mm -hmm. or um just a you know, the ability to enjoy something because they know, you know, I know how it was raised from the farmer. I know how, you know, or what, what went into the animal and what didn't go into the animal. And I, I don't have to be fearful of, you know, what in the world is my family eating Mm -hmm. kind of thing. So uh, this is kind of an off book question, but what was it that, put you in an interest with uh, sustainable agriculture or natural organic, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, I think what really drove me into the cattle or uh, all natural organic side of farming. Uh, one, my mom was really big on health. And so that was an impact as well. But early on um, one, I guess one big thing that, I was like, okay, I want to stay away from big agriculture and crop farming because I don't agree with how they operate was a documentary called King Corn. And I don't know if you've ever seen it or not, but it's an older documentary about, yeah, it's really, it's really good. It's an eye opening kind of documentary where they don't take um, sides of like 
you know, corn's bad or corn is good or this or that. There's just two guys from Boston that come out to Iowa and they spend a season from spring to fall uh, and track like, you know, the growth of corn and, you know, what, what goes into raising it. But then when it's harvested, where it goes, what it's made into. And it is pretty much is just, um, they were just kind of uh, more or less tracking the life of a kernel of corn and, you know, put it into a video form for people to watch. And it was a really eye-opening experience to find out that um, corn is used in a wide, wide range of products that aren't healthy for us to eat, but they're used because it's a good filler. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just so much of it grown that they have to do something with it. You know, they're not quite sure, well, what do we do with it? It's, you got to do something with it. I once and, heard that if you look at a person under a really big microscope, we actually have the same consistency of a corn chip just because of the amount of corn yeah. we consume. Yep. Yep. Nope. I've, uh, it's kind of hilarious. Cause I like, um, your, uh, your hair, like they do a, you know, a test on your hair or whatever. And a lot of us, like you're saying, we have kind of like a, some DNA from corn. <laughs> it's like, wait a second. <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't right. This shouldn't be. So, but no, that was, that was one of the things where it was like, okay, I don't want to go into the big agriculture side of crop farming. I want to go into something that is natural, that is going to um, prolong uh, a healthy life and help others do the same. So that's why I went to the natural side. And I really enjoyed it because, you know, like we said earlier, just knowing that I can help uh, someone else provide their family with a healthy product to eat or put on their supper table. That's really, that's um, all I want when it comes to farming is just knowing I'm helping someone else. Mm-hmm. Well, you see, that's the most important part about being a farmer. And the thing that most people tend to overlook is that really cities, towns, Villages, all this is only possible from there being farmers to actually raise everyone else's food. We're such an integral part of that process. And that was probably the thing that got me most excited. I mean, I'm a kid that didn't have much, I'm, as I said, not good with animals, wasn't equipped for this world, yet became a part of mm-hmm. it. And right. being able to be a part of that system, being the very first stepping stone, that foundation of civilization. I mean, that was a cool thought. Right. Yeah. Well, and what I find that, um, you know, kind of a interesting thing is uh, how we're seeing where it was back, you know, a uh, hundred years ago or where it was. Cities were small and towns were kind of small, but then there was a lot of people in the farming community that was out, you know, like there was only on uh, every mile there was a house out in the country and you know people were able to live off of 100 acres you know they had rotating crops and hay and pasture for the cattle and you know everything that they did on the 100 acres was one for their family sell a little uh and then store up for winter Mm -hmm. and that was enough for a family to live off of and get by and then when uh when you know uh, things changed, and it was, you know, well, 100, 100 acres isn't good enough. Uh, we got to go 500 acres. And then 
oh, well, now we got to get bigger machinery to take care of the 500 acres. And, well, the fences are in the way and the cattle are in the way because we can make more money doing just crops. And it kind of wiped out the, I guess you could say, small communities and just the um, farming uh, era. And now you're in the, you know, everyone's moved into the cities and the farming towns are getting smaller and smaller because people are just wanting to get away from it. And the crop farmers are just taking over more and more of the land mm-hmm. and making it, making it harder for a younger generation that may want to do uh, agriculture as it was 100 years ago, making it a lot harder for them to get started because uh, land prices are so expensive. Uh, not a lot of people are selling land, you know, because they're holding on to it. Um, so stuff like that that really takes away from the uh, farming community that once uh, was all around us. Yeah. I actually just read a statistic that as of 1946, 50% of the produce grown in the United States was actually grown in people's own gardens. I mean, wow. think about that. 50%. Wow. I mean, that's in 1946. That's my great grandmother's era. I mean, these, yeah. it wasn't that long ago. These people are still with nope. us. And we kind of discount these old people sometimes in the nursing homes. But right. it's remarkable to sit down and just listen to them. And they go, you know, it was a lot different back then. My great-grandmother, yep. <laughs> she looks at how we farm and she says, that's no different than we did it. It was just in her right. era they started using all the chemicals and they changed yeah. things. Uh, so yep. just it, it's yep. interesting how not that long ago. Now, uh, you currently manage Crestwood Family Farms in Woodstock, Illinois. Uh, tell us a little about the farm, uh, what you do there. Yeah, sure. Um, like uh, Crestwood Family Farms is um, kind of, you could say, a startup farm. i uh, been in uh, business now for three years, and uh, the owner is Bill LaPreeze. Um, and his vision is to uh, not only raise healthy uh, meat for people, but also to provide a way for people that uh, younger generation uh, that want to do farming in a natural way uh, to work on a farm and also to possibly um, kind of have a piece of land for themselves to raise animals on. Uh, The name Crestwood Family Farms is so that families can be involved in the farming. Uh, And so, you know, his his long-term vision is to buy more land around the area and then bring on families to work it and maintain it and raise the animals, but then also be able to provide themselves with, you know, produce and meat. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's the long-term plan of the farm. And, you know, it's one of those things where uh, it's a perfect location because it's right outside of Chicago and Chicago is in a desperate need and looking for natural meat because uh, people are being educated and that's what it really takes. Uh, They're looking for a different way to buy produce and meat and that's locally. So it's a perfect location to start a farm and be able to help people in the inner city that, you know, maybe, maybe they could have a little uh, garden of their own to feed their family, uh, but they just don't have the time. So it's easier for them to just drive out past the suburbs to a farm and find produce and meat and eggs uh, that they can enjoy and feel good about eating 
and feeding to their family. Uh, so at Crestwood Farms, uh, right now we uh, are just doing cattle. Um, start from, we have uh, cow, uh, cows that uh, birth the calves, and then we finish the calves on the property. Uh, we uh, This past season was our second season for raising pasture hogs. And so we're kind of venturing down that way. Um, Everyone loves well. their bacon. Yep, exactly. Everybody loves bacon, can't get enough of it. So um, that's uh, that's right now. That's where things are at with the farm and looking to grow here in the next few years and provide more of a healthier way for people to eat. And, you know, not only for other people, but for ourselves as well. Sounds like a good goal. Uh, definitely going to be uh, keeping on you guys. So what does your average day there look like? Uh, you said you manage it pretty much there. You've got cattle, pastured hogs. What does that typically entail? I mean, obviously, it's winter now, so keep in mind it's right, a little different, right. folks. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, in the winter, the winter times, it's pretty uh, slow. There's no hogs, uh, and the cattle uh, are just uh, in the pasture on hay. And since uh, in the wintertime, grass doesn't like to grow, uh, which, you know, you wish it would, but... Silly it gets grass. Cold. Yeah, I know. It doesn't understand, I guess, that, you know, somebody's got to eat. But uh, so it's mainly uh, managing the cattle and their uh, feed, make sure they have enough hay and make sure water doesn't freeze on them. Uh, so wintertime is kind of slower. The summertime, things kick into high gear. Uh, we do intense grazing. So we rotate the cattle through the pasture with electric fence, uh, giving them fresh fresh pasture every day to eat uh, one it helps the growth of the pasture and puts nutrition back into the land but also it gives the cattle a fresh pallet of grass that um, has been you know washed clean with the rain and um, been sterilized by the sunlight so that way they don't have any issues with getting sick from uh, say being on a pasture for too long with um, well, poop and urine. Mm-hmm. So that keeps things clean and keeps the pastures growing strong. And so that's the summertime and then also uh, doing hay uh, for the wintertime. So the summertime is where it's a lot of moving parts to keep everybody happy and moving smoothly. I can honestly say I don't understand the farmers that farm down south, how they can do it because I'm assuming, like, in my experience, by the time winter comes, you're just ready to fall down and say, I've had it, I'm done. Can I just hibernate for the rest of the year? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, no, and uh, the uh, farmers down south, especially, like, you get past uh, Tennessee where, you know, there's no winter break. Like, like there can be a little bit, but you still got cattle that need – you need to be moved because the pasture is still growing or, um, you know, it's just, you gotta, you gotta change the direction of how you, um, you know, rotate them, give them a little bit bigger area or whatever. But it's, uh, one of those things where, yeah, I, I would, I would, I would have to adjust my schedule and my sleeping schedule to be down South where you're going all year round doing, you know, 10, 12 hour days every day, uh, be, be pretty intense. I think. 
Yeah, God help them. So, <laughs> uh, so uh, just one of the questions I had written down here for you. What do you think is the main issue facing agriculture today? I mean, this is obviously uh, a broad topic, but in your experience, what you see, what do you think? Yeah, I would say uh, one of the biggest things that is um, facing agriculture is how large things have gotten. Uh, you've gone to or gotten away from the family farm of 100 acres, and now if you don't have 1,000 acres or more in crops, you can't make it. Uh, and, of course, the one way that guys that have 1,000 acres or more do it is they have uh, government subsidies that help support them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it, agriculture just can't keep going on that way. Um, it's not sustainable. I, exactly. It's not sustainable. Uh, you can't keep getting larger equipment because, well, you're going to take up roads that people got to drive on if you keep getting bigger and bigger in the equipment. And also, um, how, how much longer can our government keep subsidizing a product that we have too much of and that's why we see it in all of our food. Um, you know, corn and soybeans uh, outside of the U.S. Um, aren't being purchased. Mm-hmm. Uh, people don't want U.S. crops because of uh, GMO, uh, genetically modified organisms that they're uh, being make, made up or being made into now, uh, but also because of the pesticides that are on the crops. Mm-hmm. Um, so... In, in the U.S. alone, we just have too much uh, corn and soybeans that we can't use at all. And so yeah. it's just it's it's gotten to the point where it's just so large it can't it can't keep itself going the way it is. Uh, yes, uh, I was just reading something recently about the difference between decentralized and centralized systems. And what we're finding in agriculture is a lot of these farms, they've become these conglomerates of different kinds. Now, obviously there are families that have hundreds of thousands of acres and they're doing it all in two different grains. But again, they're centralizing what their income is based on, on corn and soybeans, a more diversified farm with decentralized capital, if you will, with multiple different crops, uh, produce and cattle, bees, you name it. Those are the farms that seem to be more successful because if one thing fails, they're not, down and out. Whereas a lot of these huge conglomerate farms, these huge farms with two products, if they have problems with one of them, they're screwed. And it's horrible to see. And it's sad that we've gotten to this point where that is the way it works. Right. Right. Yeah. Not only that, but, um, big agriculture with even just, um, you know, uh, dairy or even the way chicken is produced or hogs are produced in hog confinements uh, or cattle and feedlots, mm-hmm. you know, getting to the point where um, big agriculture is not, they're only worried about their bottom dollar. Mm-hmm. They're not focusing on end product, uh, what it is that they're doing to the animals, how they're being raised. I mean, really the animal uh, like cattle for one uh, instance is, you know, fed corn from when it's a calf and weaned to about, uh, uh, I think it's about 12 to 14 months old. But they can't keep them any longer than that because they pump so much grain into them 
their bodies will shut down. And I can't believe it. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy that you're, you keep feeding uh, an animal something that is going to kill it, but because you want a quick turnaround, you just pump it full of this grain. Mm-hmm. And people think, oh, well, if the cow dies because it's being fed too much grain, it's okay. But what they don't take into consideration is when you're cutting into that steak on your plate, what do you think will happen to you? Mm-hmm. So, if you don't put the pieces together. Like on Crestwood Farms, how long does it take for a mature cattle to cow steer to actually reach full maturity to butcher weight? Yeah, uh, so on Crestwood Family Farms, since we're all pasture-based and grass-fed, uh, but we do we have started doing a little bit unique uh, way of finishing, depending on how, because some people, they still are and still want that marbling that's on the, the steer. Mm-hmm. And so what we do is we, from uh, birth to finish, we do 100% grass-fed, or we do the last two months of kind of like a grain finishing. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not... It's not much at all. It's just some people like the marbling on the steer. So we offer that to people to give them the same flavor as they would get in the store, but it's still healthier because it's not, um, it's not, uh, it's organic grain and it's not, you know, GMO grain with pesticides on it. So mm-hmm. that's uh, a good idea all- because there are people like my father who, though they know all the rhetoric, they know the reasons they still just can't quite adjust to a full grass-fed flavor. Personally, me, right. I, I love grass-fed because I, I don't care as much about the marbling and the fat, but it, it's certainly nice that you have that option for people yeah. that prefer that a little bit more of the old taste. Yeah, exactly. And, um, like, you know, it takes about, um, even with the grain finishing, we still like to take the animal to about 20... 24 months, um, about two years or so, uh, just for the fact that that's when they, they kind of peak out and they hit their full potential and growth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, then we take them in to be harvested. And, you know, it's one of those things where, like you're saying, the old taste of the marbling. Well, it wasn't an old taste 50 years ago. That was the <laughs> new taste 50 years ago, which is crazy to think about. But, People just got stuck with the fact that if that's, that ring of fat is around my steak, well, then there's not going to be any flavor in my steak. And what people forget is when you eat in that steak with the fat on it, you know, you're not actually tasting the meat itself. You're mm-hmm. tasting the fat yeah. because the fat grease soaks into the meat. So you're really just tasting the fat. Whereas when you eat grass fed, uh, you do have to cook grass fed at a slower rate and lower temperature because you don't want to over you don't want to overcook it and dry it out but when you cook it properly you actually will taste what meat should taste like and that's the beauty of grass-fed is you get the actual taste of uh the meat over you know tasting the uh, oil or the the fat yeah from the steak. real taste of real food that's right that's right <laughs> sounds like a good book uh you know it <laughs> May not be a. It, I think there actually may be a book that uses that phrase, but uh, okay. Cody Holmes down in Missouri, uh, he yep. their business is called Real Farm Foods, and I did say it's real food, real way, something along those lines. But they're smarter right. than I am, so I just borrow from them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep. So before we wrap up here, 
is there anything you'd like to share with the audience? Anything you'd like to plug? Uh, yeah, I'd like to uh, plug Crestwood Family Farms. Uh, people go check out our website. They can get pricing for uh, beef, pork, and honey. Uh, we do offer raw honey for people. Um, and it's CrestwoodFamilyFarms.com. Uh, also check us out on Facebook. Just uh, type in Crestwood Family Farms and our page will pop up. That's kind of how we stay connected with people. Let them know what's happening throughout the season. Uh, pictures uh, here in about a month and a half or so, uh, we'll start having calves. And so we'll put pictures up on Facebook page uh, for people to see the calves that we're having this spring. Uh, but also we'll let people know of um, when ordering can be done. Mm-hmm. And the ordering can be uh, done all through the website. So you can pre-order uh, through the website. We do offer uh, uh, quarters and halves of steers and pork um, and holes of pigs as well. Uh, but then a, a new thing that we're doing uh, for people that just are new to farming or new to small farms and local farming uh, is a sample pack. So people can go on our website and they can order either a beef sample pack or pork sample pack. And in that will be a wide range of different cuts for people just to try, get the taste of it and see if they want to order on a larger um, scale. Mm -hmm. But if you're a a small family and a 25 pound pack uh, is good enough for you for a month or whatever, and that's what you want to do, we allow people to do that. Um, whatever, whatever is convenient for people, that's what we want to do because we want to be able to uh, bring the uh, meat to your dinner plate as easy as possible for you. Good choice. Good choice. Uh, thank you, Aaron, yep. for being here. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, and thanks for being on the show. Not a problem. I really appreciate it and uh, look forward to doing it again. All right. Well, have a great rest of your day. Yes, you too. Thank you so much. We hope you've enjoyed this first ever episode of the Intellectual Agrarian Podcast. If you've enjoyed it and want to hear more, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and take a look at our website, farmingthedream.com, or take a look at our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash intellectual agrarian.